Yeah. All right. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus 33 for our primary text this morning. Exodus chapter 33. The children of Israel have come out of bondage in Egypt. They have made their way to Mount Sinai and a little bit beyond. They have made the golden calf. And Moses prays to God for mercy and help. In Exodus 33, verse 19, and he said, this is God speaking to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy they have come from hearing the voice of God on Mount Sinai Moses is still there. He hasn't yet come down. And the people are impatient. And so they say to Aaron, make us a God. And he engraves for them a golden calf. And you are probably familiar with that story. So when Moses is coming down with Joshua off of the mountain, they hear music and dancing in chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 24 and 25. Exodus 32, 24. I said, let any who have gold... This is what Aaron told Moses in explaining what's going on. I said, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, Exodus 32, 24. And I just threw it all in the fire and out came this cave. <laughs> yeah, I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn too. Verse 25, and Moses saw that the people had broken loose or become exposed is the Hebrew term, for Aaron had let them become exposed to the derision of their enemies. The King James translates it, they got naked. So they were having a party, dancing around the golden calf. And remember that this is early in the events of Exodus. These people have seen all ten plagues in Egypt. They've watched the, the Red Sea open up. They've seen the soldiers of Egypt drowned in the Red Sea. And they've eaten manna from heaven, uh, 
feeding over a million people. And remember, this is all previous to Exodus 33. They get manna in chapter, 30, uh, chapter 18. They make their decision of the covenant in chapter 19. And so now these are people who have just heard the voice of God. Let me, um, let me show you this verse. This is Exodus 20. Uh, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, it says, Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He spoke. He didn't just write them on tables of stone and give them to Moses, but God came down on Mount Sinai, and it was all ablaze on the top. And it says, trumpets were sounding from angels and louder and louder. And God literally, audibly spoke the Ten Commandments. And here's the first one. Verse, Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord you God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness in anything in heaven and earth. They had heard those words. Spoke directly and from an audible voice of God from Mount Sinai. And here they are doing exactly the opposite of what he just got finished telling them not to do. That they had agreed to follow. A plague, not surprisingly, followed, according to chapter 32, verse 35, the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the golden calf. And then into chapter 33, I'm giving you this background so you'll know what our text means, so you get the feeling of the text. Chapter 33, verse 4 and 5, it says this, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. What is the disastrous word? Verse 3, God says, I will, you all go on up to Canaan, but I will not go with you. I'm not going to go with you. You, you go on. I don't want to be there, God says. Now that's a, that shouldn't be surprising um, because remember that the old covenant made at Mount Sinai was kind of a marriage covenant. In fact, in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, he talks, he says, I was a husband who brought you out of Egypt. God had married Old Testament Israel. And on their honeymoon, she ran off with the best man, the golden calf. I mean, so how would you feel? Or what if, uh, and I, over the years, you know, it's not just me, but some of you have talked with people whose marriages have been going on for years, 
and the spouse just walks in one day and says, I found someone else and I want a divorce. And, and so you're not surprised if this person is thinking, we have children together. We have been through so much together. We, I, I, I don't understand this. How can you just drop the vows that you've made? And, and so we've, we've seen this happen. All of us, at one time or another, have, have seen this. And it's, it's very sorrowful, grieving. Well, God is very human here. You, look, you, you guys want to go on to, you, you want to go to Canaan? I don't want to go. You, you go on without me. You can feel the heart of God. I've been reading Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel 6, 9, God says, in, in exile, you will remember how I have been uh, broken over your whoring heart. Uh, or the word broken means crushed or devastated. I have been devastated by your idolatrous heart. The New Living Translation of Ezekiel 6-9 says, When they are exiled among the nations, they will recognize, they will remember me and recognize how I've been hurt by their unfaithful heart and eyes that long for idols. You hurt me, God says to them. So a couple of things happen here. Uh, when God tells them he's not going to go with them to Canaan, it affects them. They don't put on earrings and they take off their necklaces and bracelets and all kinds, any bling. They take all that off. God tells them to. That's in Exodus 33, 4 through 6. A second thing that happens is that Moses goes and prays for them. Exodus 33, verse 15 he says in verse 14, my presence, verse 15, he said to them, if your presence, verse Exodus 33, 15, if your presence does not go with me, do not take us up from here. For how shall it be known, Exodus 33, 16, that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in that you go with us? So that makes us distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And let me just say, dear people, going to church does not make you unique. Islam goes to church. Buddhists go to church, their own church, but they go. All kinds, all nations have some form of temple or synagogue or uh, entity that they attend to religiously. But what makes the Christian church and God's people different is the presence of God. And if Moses said, if your presence is not with us, there's no point in us going. And I would just ask you, you know, I think we need to take some steps here, serious steps about 
about having more of the anointing of God in this place. More of God in this place. Because when God shows up, He fixes things. He heals people. He saves people. So Moses prays, and then God responds like this. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. Moses said, please show me your glory. In verse 19, and he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I want you to see that I'm the Lord. And here's what he says. And that I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will to show mercy. And that's our text. In other words, God says to Moses, I'm, I'm going to show you that I'm the Lord. And I'm going to show mercy. Now here's all these idolaters. Here's this unfaithful bride. Here's these who have thrown off my presence and I so quickly after having seen the miracles, heard the voice from Sinai and watched what I have provided. I and now, all right, Moses, I'm going to show mercy. But it's going to be selective. I will show mercy to... Oh, and then what's the basis? I will show mercy to those whom I will show mercy to. Now that's interesting. See, there's nothing unjust about that, right? There's, no, there's nothing unfair because they're all sinners, they're all idolaters. Ezekiel uh, 14 also talks about how we have invited idols into our heart. All of us are idolaters in one way or another at one time or another. So when God looks at the mass of humanity and sees them as idolaters and he says, I'm going to show mercy upon whom I will to show mercy. Mercy is rooted in God's will, not in your will. Now, can I get an amen on that? Are y'all following me? Am I, am I being honest here with Scripture? I will show mercy upon whom I will. So when I report back to you that what the text says is that God's will is the determining factor of whether you have mercy or not. I think it's an accurate exposition of the Holy Scripture. So, we'll proceed as it was. So here is a point to ponder. The grace of God and His mercy are not merit-based. It's not merit-based. Everyone has sinned 
Everyone has idols in one way or another. No one deserves mercy. That's why it's called mercy. Because you don't deserve it. And if God does not show mercy to somebody, then all of us will perish. Romans 8, 29, Paul put it like this. He said, if God hadn't spared some of you, we would have all become like Sodom and Gomorrah, just kept going down, 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 spiraling morally downward until God stepped in and rescued some of us. So what's the distinction between you and the other idolaters in the earth? The intervention of the mercies of God. Can I get an amen? That's what makes you different. Mercy. Psalm 130, verse 1 to 3. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, marked iniquities then who could stand? If he went based on counting the number of your sins, who among us could stand before God? If if you should mark iniquities, so God give me mercy. So from this verse, Exodus 33, 19, We learn that mercy is not merit-based and we learn that God is the one who decides mercy. (laughs) I will have mercy on whom I will. God is the arbiter of all mercies. And... And I don't just mean uh, salvation, forgiveness here, but let me name a few things. How about your parents? Now, most of us would say, you know, that our parents weren't perfect, but basically your parents provided to some degree and blessed your life. Parents are a mercy. They keep you from a lot of stuff you'd get into. They make you brush your teeth and go to school, take a bath, and be nice to your brother. Parents, and where you were born in America. Hey, you know, and I don't make any apology here. I'm I'm pro-America. I like being, and uh, as some of my kin folks would say, I'm American. I like being an American. I'm not uh, a nationalist, but I am patriotic. And I like my, I consider it a mercy, undeserved, that I was born in the United States of America. Because you know what? I didn't decide that. Who decided where you were going to be born? I know, you're going to be, okay, they, uh, 
Larry, we're coming to you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to put you in the earth. Would you like to be in North Korea? Or would you like to be in Iran? Would you like to be in Iraq? Perhaps Afghanistan works for you. Or you could go to the United States where the gospel is preached and where churches abound and where good parents await your birth. Hey, I think I'd choose the United States. And we ought to be thankful for that mercy that came from God. Our heritage. Now, I might be a little too enthusiastic for some of you on that, but I don't see it as being too nationalistic. I see it as being a mercy from God that was undeserved. He, I didn't do anything to be born here. And then to be put in Flint, hallelujah. I'll go with it. It's in America. <laughs> Did you know that out of about seven and a half billion people, maybe, um, maybe eight now, um, over four billion have no access to social security. Half the people in the world are not born into a country where there's social security. If you're on social security, my wife and I, we, we just got on social security a year or two ago, and I'm telling you, I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> and I consider that a mercy. I could have been edged over into the half the countries that have no social security. How about gender? God didn't ask you if you wanted to be a male or female. He made you one, as He willed. How about race? How about marriage? See, you have your the the pool of potential candidates, shall we say, is relatively small to the earth. So you're probably going to marry someone within the range of your engagements and in interactions. For example, I went to Asbury College and met Janet Penorwood. She didn't like her name, Penorwood, so she liked Redenire better. <laughs> but <clears throat> Proverbs 19.14 says, House and wealth are inherited from the fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife. You can get money from your daddy. You can inherit a house from your parents. But you know what? If you got a good wife, that came from God. And you ought to shout in praises because of the wife that you're sitting next to in church worshiping God together. I rest my case. The mercy of God is good. Now, some of you guys could be a little more enthusiastic on that. Man, I'm preaching this morning. 
What about your health? Psalm 139.16 in the ESV says that he, your, he numbers your days before any of them was written. He had them numbered. Uh, I, I put this up here. Jesse Marundi. Can you, can you give me that picture? Um, you see that? Do y'all know him? Jesse Marundi? Strongest man in the world was his title. Actually, he was second uh, one year, and he was going for to be the strongest man uh, the following year, and everybody thought he would get it. Um, I've used this picture because it kind of looked like me. But <laughs> that aside, he looks like the epitome of health. He died at 27 years of age. Young, strong, handsome, they found a heart defect that was so severe, unknown to then. Moses, I proclaim my name, the Lord. If you're alive today, Thank God for medicines, for help, doctors, hospitals. But ultimately, behind the curtain, you will find the Lord decrees a mercy so that you are alive this day. That's why you're alive. 1 Samuel 1, he kills, he makes alive. It's in his hands. You need to be more reverent, reverential of God and fearful of the might of God than you are afraid of the Lord. I mean, of the devil. More afraid of the devil or the Lord? Which one is it? Turn to Romans chapter 9. Let's move from this. Because I want to talk about how Paul uses this text. Paul quotes this verse, Romans 9, verse 6. The problem in Romans 9 is the Messiah has come and many of the Jews argue with Paul and saying, look, there's so many, there's very few Jews who accepted Jesus as Messiah. So how do you explain that? The great majority of the Jews rejected Christ of the first century. Paul said, Romans 9, verse 6, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's a powerful verse. Not everybody who's in the nation of Israel actually is, belongs to true Israel. Verse 7, Not all who are children of Abraham, because they are descendants, but God says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. See, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And God said, through Isaac shall your seed be called, shall your descendants be called. Well, um, Ishmael is a descendant of Abraham. Out of the Ishmael came the Arabs, all the entire Arab nation came from Ishmael. They're all descendants of Abraham. But God said, 
Isaac is going to be the Israel. And then he, Paul goes on to say <clears throat> in verse chapter 9 of Romans, verse 10, <clears throat> and not only so, but when Rebekah, now that's um, Isaac, or Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac married Rebekah, and she had two children. Notice this, Romans 9, 10. When Rebekah conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, uh, Jacob and Esau were in her womb. They were twins. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, but in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but of him, she was told the older will serve the younger. Before they were born, before they had done good or bad, see, election and being chosen is not race-based, but it's grace-based. God said, I will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. So it's Isaac. It's not Ishmael. It's Jacob. It's not Esau. All from the same, they're all descendants. Not all of Israel is true Israel, but those of whom God said and God called and God elected before they had done good or evil. That's what election is all about. It's, it's unconditional. That's why it's an amazing thing. And then Paul in Romans 9, 14 quotes our text. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. See, he's explaining how God chose one and not the other. He said, this is not unjust because, look, he already told Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. So look at verse 16, Romans 9, 16. So therefore it depends not on human will or human effort, but on God who has mercy. God said, I will show mercy upon whom I will. Paul said, it's not therefore based on human will. See, behind, if you have decided to follow Jesus, then we would say what is behind that is God moving on your will to strengthen it and incline it toward faith. Behind your will is the will of God and the mercy of God. It's not a matter of will. It's not a matter of human will or effort. That's what Paul is saying right here. Therefore, like the Israelites, we have lost any right to be blessed due to our sins. We cannot claim any entitlement because of our idolatry. We cannot sue for any blessing because of our sins. But we can go to the God who has declared he will show mercy and we can bow before him 
and we can ask him for mercy. We can do that. John 1.13 tells us how we were born spiritually. He says, you were born not of blood, that is, it doesn't run in the family. Like uh, some of the Jews said, I'm Jewish, therefore I'm God's people. No, you're not born, it's not, you're not born spiritually by blood, nor the will of the flesh, that is, it's not a decision, merely your decision. It's not without your decision, but it's not, you're not the source of it. Not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Uh, somebody else can't do it for you by baptizing you or just making a pronouncement. It's not, another man's will can't make you a Christian. Your will can't make you a Christian. The blood that's in your veins can't make you a Christian. But he, he, he gives you the solution, John 1.13. We're born not of blood or the will of the flesh or will of man, but of God. Of God. So here's a summary. Here's the summary. One, grace and mercy are not merit-based. Two, God is the one who decides mercy. Three, this is not unjust because mercy is not deserved. That's the definition of mercy. And finally, notice that God says, I will show mercy. He didn't say, I will show wrath. It's like Moses, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I would read it something like this. I will show mercy. But it's going to be on whom I will. But I am determined that I will show mercy. I am going to break through this idolatrous, stubborn people with mercy. I will. I am determined. I am bound to do it. That's why you should read that. He wants. He's decreed. He's decided. He's determined to get mercy into your life. In spite of your sin and idolatry and backsliding and hardness, God is determined he's going to put some mercy into your life. Hallelujah. So let me give you three. This is my sermon outline now. <laughs> that was all introduction. <laughs> so here's three points. We'll leave the poem off for lack of time. Number one, let's acknowledge His goodness and mercy. Every morning you walk out, God, thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the air. Thank you for the trees. None of this is deserved by us idolatrous humanity. Thank you for your mercies. Lamentations 3.22 It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. 
Every morning you wake up. It's mercies. Uh, when I was in the hospital, uh, I had uh, nurses' personalities were interesting and even fun. Uh, one was a pessimist, and uh, he would say, you got a long way to go. And another one would come in and say, well, you're doing good, you're doing good. And... Uh, the one that was a pessimist would come in. It was a guy. And he'd say, uh, I've got a son in the Air Force. Really? That's wonderful. But he's in Afghanistan. Oh, that's too bad. You know, it's always like he had the downside to everything. Um, and uh, he told me one day, he said, <clears throat> you know, there's a lady also on the COVID floor. She's 20 years younger than you. Doing great. And she was, he said, she's exercising now. She's getting ready to go home. And all of a sudden, the other day, she just dropped dead. Dropped dead. I thought, wow. Okay. Thanks for the tip. Who determines that? That everything that has breath, and man, I was sucking air. I got breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I'm praising the Lord. I'm happy today. I got mercy. I got so much mercy. I got more years added. And let me tell you, y'all probably already suspicioned of this. It wasn't deserved. I didn't get it because God said, oh, I see how you've been living and doing and how much praying and working. All right, we're going to add another, um, let's give you five more. That wasn't that way God did it. I will have mercy upon you. I will have mercy. Sovereignty, the Lord. Here's a second thing. Let's believe God, since this thing is not work and merit-based. Amen? It's not merit-based. Then let's believe God and let's pray to God for some great and mighty things in our lives. Hey, guys. Go for mercy. Pray on the basis of mercy. Pray some big prayers. Because it's not, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Well, if it's mercy, then I've got a shot at it. My kids came in the other day. I, I, I say this because most of y'all know I got my doctor's degree back in May. And my kids were showing me uh, some grade cards in elementary school, eighth grade, where I was making D's and F's. And then I got in high school, and I was one of those that had to stay after class all the time to redo the work. 
And then I got in college, and my, my advisor, counselor, I just remember this one thing that he said to me. Well, Larry, you're always going to be an average student. I thought, average is good. From what I've been, that's coming up. He said, you're always going to be an average student. So God called me to preach, and so I got out of college, and I thought, I've got to go to seminary. So I went to seminary, three-year degree, master's degree. I took five because I just slow. Couldn't get it. Well, a few years ago, God spoke to my heart and said, I want you to pursue a doctor's degree in church leadership. I thought, man. So I wrote the seminary, our mother, her flagship seminary, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And they wrote me back, and I was like, ooh, what are they going to say? And they said, well, we've looked at your records, and we've decided to let you in on probation. <laughs> you know, probation's never that good. It's only part good. And they say, we're going to let you in on probation. You have to maintain a B average. And, all, and if you drop below B, then, you know, sorry. So I did. Six years later, May 7th, I walked across the stage and got my Doctor of Ministry degree. You're welcome. Hey, it's, look, you guys, it's good to have a pastor with a doctorate. It, it sounds good. But here's what I wanted to tell you. I prayed for all through that thing. At my dissertation, everything. The computers had to work. The printer had to work. It had to be on time. It had to be a certain way. And that was a miracle from God. And I graduated with a doctor's degree from our leading seminary uh, with a 3.95 grade average. Now that's God. That's God. So what I'm saying, guys, uh, kick the door down. The heavens are open. Mercy is writing checks. Get in on that. If it's not merit-based or ability-based or morals-based or all of the things that we usually take into consideration, I say get up before the throne of God and get your hands out. <laughs> Amen? My grandchildren sitting here ask for big things. Ask for big things. If I can graduate with a doctorate at 3.95, you can graduate as a, a PhD in social engineering. I don't know, whatever. Become president of the United States. It's mercy-based. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! How do you think you got saved? It's mercy-based. 
Ephesians 2, he's rich in mercy. It doesn't say he's rich in wrath. He's rich in mercy. One, one more thing. Man, I've been preaching a while. One more thing. Let's be good stewards of God's mercies He's given us. If God's bestowed on us mercy, oh, let it be a treasure. Let us handle it as a gift from heaven because it is. Being good stewards. In Acts chapter 12, Herod arrested James, the brother of John, one of the apostles. And the next day, he cut his head off. He saw that it made the unbelieving Jews happy, so he arrested Peter. And an angel came and let him, walked him out of the prison. Man, what happened to James? One gets his head cut off and the other gets an angelic escort out of jail personally by an angel. Who decided that? Sovereignty of God. That's where that belongs. That's a whole area. You just give that to the sovereignty of God. But there, it's not that it's not without purpose because in Acts 15... There's a big debate in the church. This is a couple of chapters later. Peter stands up and he says, God chose me. He's the first speaker in the big debate in church. He He says, God chose me that by my mouth the gospel would be preached. And that's why I'm going to Gentiles. One of the things that drove Peter was the feeling that he was special to God. That God had chosen him. And so therefore he's going to give it everything he's got. He's not just preaching to Jews. Because he's going to preach to Gentiles. He's going to preach to the rich and the poor and the male and the female. He's going to preach the gospel to everybody because he has been given this extra this mercy what are your mercies today folks what are your mercies be good stewards of what God has given you ushers you come speaking of stewardship this is our time to tithe we want to be good stewards and give God praise for the 90% that he's given to us So as we worship today, worship in your giving.